0: You're listening to Scalet Sisters, episode number 28. Welcome to Scalet Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandy Bensel. You can find me at Afterthoughts, that's my main blog, and also teaching reading with Bob Books, which is where I keep my line of printable phonics lessons. You can hear more from me on my other podcast, Aftercast. My co-hosts today are Pam Barnhill and Misty Winkler. Pam is an author, speaker, blogger at pambarnhill.com, and you'll probably recognize her from her two popular podcasts, Homeschool Snapshots and Your Morning Basket. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and two mini-projects. She writes about practical classical homeschooling at Simply Convivial, and about organizing attitudes at Simplified Organization. This episode is sponsored by a month of Morning Time. Morning Time is a wonderful addition to your homeschool, but sometimes planning it takes way more time and energy than you have to spare. You get overwhelmed trying to choose the best books to read. You have no idea which poems and artwork are the good ones. Truth, goodness, and beauty are wonderful ideals, but the people in your house need laundry and three meals a day. Ready-made morning time plans can help reduce your decision fatigue, spend less time planning, and still add delight to your homeschool day. Download a free sample at pambarnhill.com slash month. Today's discussion is all about life. What is meant by education is a life? Once again, we've provided a downloadable life audit to help you put these ideas into action Explain how to get it at the end. And so, without further ado, let's get to it. Let's start off with our School A RDA. And Misty, would you like to go first today? Sure. I have a new goal for this
1: school year, a personal goal, and that is to actually be able to identify the trees in my own yard or on my morning walk, or just the local trees. I have probably five that I know, maybe, probably five. I was looking at different books to use for the elementary kids science this year. And I decided to do just different topics instead of one book, like an a yeah. book. And I got this book. It's a tree identification book. And it's big, and it's pretty, and it's small. It's meant for kids And it only has like 12, actually. What?
2: It's big and it's
1: small. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) It's a big book. Like it's bigger than a sheet of paper and it's thin. Okay. (laughs) Big pages, but not many of them. (laughs) Nice. And the the art in it is really pretty. So they're all hand-drawn illustrations on the inside. And it has, you know, what to look for in trees and the different words to describe the bark and describe the leaves so that you can have an idea of what you're like, talk about what you see or even notice what you see, which is what I need. The back has about 12 different trees and it gives the name and where they grow and a little paragraph about them, but also, you know, an up close of the leaf and the fruit and the bark and its habit. So, I was looking at that and I was like, okay, I have a nature journal. I think I used that as a school A RDA last year and it has one entry,
2: <laughs>
1: maybe two. So, I just said, this year I could do like that book has. So, it's like I had a picture in my head of like, okay, this is what I could do. Yeah. Because that was part of the problem. Okay, the leaves and the fruit and the bark and kind of the shape of the tree. That now I know, now I have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> So that's been fun. So, And it's even just choosing that as a focus, even for myself, has already helped me notice that there are actually more different kinds of trees on my morning walk than I'd even realized before. Isn't that (laughs) funny? It's like the first thing I noticed is that this is going to be a bigger project than I thought.
0: (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) love it. I went through a stage where I was trying to do that and I got discouraged because I saw this, what I thought was this beautiful tree and I kept trying to figure out what it was and I couldn't figure out what it was. And so finally I talked to a guy that he's a landscaper and he's got a landscaping degree from college. Like he really knows his plans. And he's like, oh, that's not actually a tree. That's why you're confused. I'm like, what? And apparently some bushes can be, they can do kind of like sculpting where they get the center to grow like a trunk and they're pruning it down at the bottom. So it was a uh-huh. bush created that to looks. look like a tree. And so it was, it, yeah. I mean, it was a uh-uh. full size, full size, like a tree. And I had no idea. So I was like, I quit. These people are cheating. <laughs> so that was my mature response to the whole thing. I should humble myself and go back to the process. Good oh. for you. Misty. This is good. <sighs> Anyhow, that's my story. <laughs> So how about you, Brandy? <laughs> All right, here we go. I have, I am reading a book I've always wanted to read. And actually I thought about reading it a couple years ago and then I realized I was going to be able to read it with my oldest in high school. And so I waited so that my first reading would be the same as his first reading, which is always fun. And so I am reading Up From Slavery, Booker uh, T. Washington. Yeah. I, one of my memories, one of my favorite memories of, from high school is when I got to read the slave narrative from Frederick Douglass. I really <laughs> loved that And so here's the thing about being born and raised in California, the civil war and like all the issues with slavery are like this thing that happened over there (laughs) with those people. (laughs) And you seriously, I mean, you get maybe two weeks of that kind of history in high school. Sorry. In high school, you get to read something like Frederick Douglass usually, but that is the extent of your education of that whole period (laughs) of American history. So I was so excited to see year 10 in Ambleside Online is the 1800s, basically, like the whole century. And so we're doing pre-Civil War, Civil War, post-Civil War. And for the first time in my life, I'm getting any sense really of what happened in order, the chronology, but then like what different people were thinking. I mean, I just really, I didn't even know until I was an adult that California even sent one unit of soldiers to fight there. Like, I didn't even know that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, i was gonna say well california was a hardly a
0: thing yet right it was and here, my family has been here like since then like we've just always been here and so my we don't even have any family history mixed up in that i mean we've just always been you know in the wild <laughs> <laughs> yeah so
2: D- dawn's saying that california was a big deal by them because of the gold rush
0: so i, I think they had statehood by yes. 1864 didn't they we we did we were just like we always have been completely obsessed with ourselves. <laughs>
1: right. It wasn't, it, it was its own kind of thing. It wasn't, right. <laughs> the <No. people. laughs>
2: but they had entered the union as okay. a free state. Am free I Free state. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. Anyway, it's an education book really. He goes from being a slave in a place where it's illegal to teach slaves to read to being one of the most educated people of his time. And so we're seeing this process of what he went through to get there and the level of sacrifice that he made. And and I I mean, I didn't realize this, but how many people set up schools once it was legal to teach them, how many people basically gave their lives in order for this group of people to become educated for the first time. I had thought that he was a believer, but he also has a very Christian and gracious perspective. And it's interesting to see someone who could have been bitter and had an axe to grind about all the I mean, he's so incredibly gracious. Anyhow, that's mine. Is this the part where we get a confession out of someone?
2: <laughs> uh, no. <it's> a- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just what you guys can't see is that we have this document and there's this big blinking pink cursor <laughs>
0: that's been sitting <laughs> by my
2: name <laughs> for a few minutes. It's Brandy's way of taunting me. No, we don't have a confession. We have a crisis. Uh That's what we have. What's
0: our crisis? Well, our crisis
2: is so I was, I think I was talking to my husband about this last night. So we get to the end of the day and I'm tired, you know, and I'm too tired to work and shouldn't be working all the time anyway. And then I am too tired to read anything of substance. I spent a lot of time reading fluff, um, bubble bath books. So we're sitting there and so, you know, football season's starting. So the past few nights we've been watching football or my husband has baseball on or my husband has hockey on. He's indiscriminate. He'll watch it all except for basketball. He <laughs> doesn't watch basketball. I need something. I need something to do. It's like Archie Bunker. <laughs> so anyway, I'm str- so I'm thinking maybe I need to pick up some knitting or some crochet. Oh,
0: yeah. Or something to do with your hands. Yeah, something
2: that's not too mentally taxing. And then uh Jessica was showing me her happy planner last week and she actually journals in her happy planner. So she doesn't oh. she doesn't um <clears throat> there's some great pictures on a blog post on my blog. <laughs> hey Don, can you drop the link? I know you're <laughs> off right now. It'll <laughs> <That'll> be five dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, she's gonna charge me. She just sent her invoice. It's safe. She'll forget by next month. Um, but so she actually has uses the spaces in her happy planner and she writes like a Bible verse in one and she uses one sometimes to write commonplace stuff and then she writes little bits about her kids, like journaling in things. So that was really cool. So I went to Michael's yesterday and bought some rings to expand my happy planner, but I really just think it was an excuse to shop. <laughs> Does anybody else do this? Like, I love- oh, I need a skull ARDA. Let's go shop. <laughs> you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Someone in my simplified organization forum, they were talking about paper planners, which I don't have a paper planner, but Someone knew me too well and put a link in for the Staples Arc system, which is kind of similar where it has mm-hmm. the rings.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Jesse has one
1: in this purple, like purple, purple. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. So I've been trying to find a reason why I need it. That's, I like your cover.
2: See. Okay. So this is another problem. Mine says make things happen, which was great when it was like something I was using for, work. And then I got into Asana and I've got some, I've got some homeschool planning stuff in the back, but that's what Jessica does is she makes hers all, it's all one big planner. So I'm like, okay, if I could put everything in there, maybe I would pull it out and actually use it more. But I like your cover brandy because make things happen is not very (laughs) school.
0: You can just add (laughs) not in there. Make things not happen. (laughs) Make one of the circles around (laughs) it with the slash. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: <laughs> so i don't know i'm having a crisis um first world problems i'm struggling finding my skull a and this happens and i think it's important for us to acknowledge yeah, oh, yeah. that th- and it's not just a matter of i can't find something to read reading is not what i need at this point does that make sense
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know mm-hmm. you girls give me stuff to read but that's like reading for work and <laughs> you know I read with the kids, but that's like reading for work because homeschooling is my job. And then I just don't have the time. I don't always have the mental capacity to read other things.
1: Mm. An evening thing would be good. I started, instead of trying to find a place where I could read and copy things down, I've been using the book darts. Yeah. And so then I can come back at the time where I can't really read and go back to my book and do the copying out into the commonplace separate. So that could be...
2: I like that. Like the time where you go,
1: you know, you, although I was copying something out the other day and I wrote the same line twice.
0: <laughs> oh, did I, you see I, this yeah. comment in the right here from Kim, Pam? Yeah, but the problem is, Kim, I actually like to watch football. Ah! <laughs> The truth comes
2: out. I'm a huge football fan. There's a big game on today. Everybody just pray that we win this because I know God hates Alabama as much as everybody else does. Oh my gosh. That's
0: uh, so funny. But
2: yes, I actually like the football. So I need something that you can still watch. Yeah. I need something that that makes me feel like I'm not just sitting there and that I'm not doing the whole just the leisure thing, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's there's a little bit of,
2: of Skolay in betwixt my moments of of leisure there. So,
0: yeah. Or you could just see it as your what is that episode that we did, Misty, The you have to play. I'm your yeah. yeah. So maybe it's that. It's OK. Yeah. There was a period of time where the only skolay I had was watching <laughs> numbers. <laughs> watching what? <laughs> numbers. The TV show. The TV show. I mean, it's an old old TV show. I'm old now. It was out when my oldest was a baby, but it's on Amazon Fire TV. And so you can watch all of it. I always tell the kids, okay, good night. I'm going to go do math. (laughs) Mom does a lot of math.
2: Hey, that math I told my kids yesterday, it's important. You'll do it every day for the rest of your yes. life.
0: So. <laughs> anyway. anyway, I'm sorry. That's- no, it's fine. I think it's good to have this conversation because it's true. Like there are so many. In fact, one of the reasons why I was excited to get back to the school year was because it actually adds that structure. Now I need to be pre-reading. And my oldest is at an age where his books very much feel like school A to me. There's so much in, you know, he's reading mostly adult books or whatever I mean they're so good by the end of the summer everything had kind of unraveled you know you spend all this time planning so you're not really putting anything in And I was I was weary and so getting started and having the pre-reading there was kind of it kind of was a shot in the arm really because I was not I was doing a lot of math <laughs> so, well, the, the school year has made me weary yeah see I think you know the different personalities different you know mm-hmm. I really thrive on the reading so for me, it's been good, but I, yeah, I mean, I think that too. Well, and I, we always have to remind ourselves that the transition period, the first part of the school year, we started July 6th, <laughs> <I won't know laughs> of course, you know. we've only been in co-op
2: for a month and co-op oh, is when it
0: gets Yes. Harder. Finding your rhythm, even though we've finished three weeks. Next week is actually our first real full week where we have our science experiment in the afternoon and we have co-op on Thursday. And we ha- so we've been adding a little bit every week, but I still don't even know what a normal week's going to look like because we haven't actually mm-hmm. done it yet. Right. So that whole finding your rhythm thing, I think it's exhausting because you're making you're still in that decision making mode where you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work, you know, and so it's taxing versus once you have the habits built and you can run on the rails for the most part. I, I don't know. I feel like it's a different.
2: Yeah. And so we had like two normal weeks when we first started co-op and then we had a short week because I was gone. And then this week we've had a short week because it's going to be, and our week runs from Wednesday to Monday because we go to co-op on Tuesday. So that's how, when I sit down and like fill out the kid's plan, it starts mm-hmm. on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Monday because that just makes the most sense for us. Oh, yeah. So this week was a short week next week my husband's having surgery it's outpatient but you know it's still i've got to be there with him all day long so it's going to be a short week because the kids aren't going to do school without me here right so that's going to be another short i'm just like short weeks are killing me
0: yeah oh i always Mm -hmm. feel like because we always start within two or three weeks of labor day and i'm like whose idea was this (laughs) (laughs) i don't even need a short week yet you know (laughs) we don't take it off it's a school day (laughs) Well, see, okay, but your husband works from home. Yeah. So I'm yeah, home. So we are yeah. doing something because we start co-op and I don't really have an extra day to spare yet, but we're not doing a full day on Monday because he's home and he's not usually home. So I told him he gets to do like-
2: <laughs> Throws a complete and total monkey wrench to the whole thing. So. Oh yeah, because
0: they're so much more fun than us. I always get mad. Oh sure. sure. But, Stay uh, home and, and be I the fun it. person.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Matt would be, you know. Doing yard work and like he's going to have projects yeah. to be working on, not right. a vacation sort of day. Yeah, so that makes a difference. Yeah, and we were both homeschooled, and both of our families always did school on Labor Day. So for us, yeah. like, what a stupid day to have a holiday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, true. All right, we got to move on. Yes, and we do. If anybody has any suggestions for my crisis, just you know, put them in the comments. And I'll, I'll take them into consideration. There
0: you go. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So we're going to transition to our topical discussion. And this is the third in our series. So we did Education is an Atmosphere. We did Education is a Discipline. And today we are doing Education is a Life. And so we got these from Charlotte Mason, who got these from Matthew Arnold, who got them from who knows where, really. I don't know about you guys. I actually found this one. Oh... Well, Because one of our goals is to try to trace the idea back into the past. At first, I felt a lot more of a block than I did with the other two. Because, for example, like Mm -hmm. discipline, because it's discipline of habit. I mean, habits go all the way back to Aristotle and Plato. It's take your pick. (laughs) But I feel like this is one of the areas where Charlotte Mason was really developing something And the way she said it was a little bit different than classical educators in the past. So it took me a little bit of time to to see the connections. Yeah. yeah. I mean, once I really got going, then I was like, oh, it is everywhere. (laughs) Okay. So my problem
2: was that this was the one I understood the least, Mm -hmm. even as Charlotte Mason talked about it. You know, and I don't know why Mm -hmm. I've never thought much about it, you know, because with atmosphere, I kind of went through the whole thing where I thought it was like how your house looked. Like you were mm-hmm. setting up some kind of, for lack of a better word, Montessori environment that wasn't really Montessori, but was all like flowery Victorian things and yeah. you know stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So I went through that whole misunderstanding about that, but eventually I came around to understand what it was. And then discipline, I got that all day long. So life was the one where I, I just didn't understand the original concept as Charlotte Mason described it. So Brandy, will you tell us what it is?
0: Yes. Well, I'll tell you, I actually originally, I think when I first heard these phrases without having read through the volume, so like 12 years ago, I remember reading a blog post that was snippets, you know, education is an atmosphere, discipline in life. It was all of those. And I came away actually mixing up life with atmosphere in the beginning. So one of the things that a lot of homeschoolers will say is all of life is school or all of life is learning or whatever. And I took that away as education is a life, not realizing that that was actually more atmosphere. You know, atmosphere was, what did Misty say a couple weeks ago when we recorded that about the connection between atmosphere and paideia, this idea that no matter what we're doing, our children are learning. No matter where we are, our children are taking it in and being formed by all that. So for me, you know, you're saying you ha- went through that with atmosphere. I went through that with life, misdefining it in my mind. So I actually went through volume six and I dug up the section so that we could just read a tiny bit of it to get us started. So. She has a chapter called the three tools. Charlotte Mason has a chapter called the three tools of education. And in that chapter, she has little subsections that is education is an atmosphere, discipline life. This is from the life section, the very beginning. She says that we have left until the last, that instrument of education implied in the phrase education is a life implied because life is no more self-existing than it is self-supporting. It requires sustenance, regular, ordered, and fitting. This is fully recognized as regards bodily life and possibly the great discovery of the 20th century will be that mind, too, requires its ordered rations and perishes when these fail. We know that food is to the body what fuel is to the steam engine, the sole source of energy. Once we realize that the mind, too, works only as it is fed, education will appear to us in a new light. The body pines and develops humors upon tabloids and other food substitutes. And the glance at a gate crowd watching a football match. <laughs> 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 I did not realize that was in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, makes us wonder what's sort of. I can't even hardly get through it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, composing myself. Makes us wonder what sort of mind food these men and boys are sustained on, whether they are not suffering from depletion, (laughs) inanition, notwithstanding big and burly bodies. For the mind is capable of dealing with only one kind of food. It lives, grows, and is nourished upon ideas only. Mere information is to it as a meal of sawdust to the body. There are no organs for the assimilation of the one more than the other. I tried to go through in our notes and pull out some of the key phrases because that's really long. You guys can probably see it in here, but I said, you know, the logical implications of this, according to Charlotte Mason, are things like having a set curriculum. There's that imagery of the feast. There's meeting the student where they're at, right? This idea of your curriculum, not only being regular and ordered, but also fitting. There's variety and alternation. There's generous or wide reading. And so... Anyway, we, I don't know which direction you guys want to take all this conversation, but I was just trying to tease out some of the things that we could talk about, and then you guys can tell me what catches your eye here. Surprise.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting... So where did this quote come from? You had this here, Brandy. So it was an illustration common with the humanist writers on education that the mind needs a variety of food, no less than the body.
0: Oh, okay. I'm going to show you my book. One of the benefits of doing this recording is that I actually can show it to you. So this is a really very old book, but here's the spine. So this is Vitorino de Feltra and Other Humanist Educators by Woodward. And this book is published in 1905. Just as a little aside, I got to show you guys this because I've always wanted to show someone this. Somebody in the early 1900s used this as a textbook for school, and I have their notes. Oh, wow. It is amazing. Ooh, cool. So all this underlining and all this writing, I haven't written in it because I don't want to get myself mixed up with this person, but it has class notes in it. So what they were being taught, it has translations of Greek and Latin phrases written into the margins. It is the coolest book. I just love it. I mean, it's not just the content. It's the person who read it. I feel like I'm reading someone's diary or something. It's just so fun. The reason why I own this book is because it was one of the books that was listed in Charlotte Mason's mother's education course. And I don't want to get too distracted by that, but pre-World War One, she had this three-year, there are a couple iterations. So one was a two-year course, one was a three-year course, but that was out that had multiple subject areas. And one of the subject areas was basically philosophy of education, psychology, that kind of thing. This book appeared alongside her books and other good books in the philosophy of education subject or whatever you want to call it. That's why I even own this. She was obviously very influenced by this book. This book that she assigned is basically laying out exactly what she talks about. So in on page 43, the first uh, two thirds of the book, let's say, are Woodward's own words. So this is his biography of Vitorino de Feltra and his commentary on the beginnings of the Renaissance, you know, lots of times de Feltra is thought of as the father of the Renaissance, this rebirth of great learning. And then the last third has four different essays that were written by contemporaries of de Feltre. So in here, yes, he's saying exactly what you said, where he's talking about this food imagery, this idea that we're giving them a diet for their mind that needs to be appropriate. He writes... It was an illustration common with the human humanist writers on education that the mind needs a variety of food, no less than the body. The range of school subjects was undoubtedly narrow as a consequence of the meager field of knowledge available at the period and their adaptation to school purposes was certainly most imperfect. But it still remains true that in the best Italian schools of the 15th century, the restriction of schoolwork to a mechanical study of Latin and Greek grammar and delectus was unknown. Hmm. Say that one more time. That last little bit. Oh, I closed the book. Hold on. It's
1: right here. Classical education wasn't only just translating Latin and Greek.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. That was what I wasn't getting. Was he saying that that has what it had been? Okay. So he's saying That that because that is what it had been reduced to by Charlotte Mason's time.
0: Well, and not just that, that there was a bit of that even going on contemporary. You know, history doesn't exactly repeat itself, but what is that quote that echoes or something like that? In DeFeltre's time, he too, like Charlotte Mason, was combating that reduction of classical education into this really narrow definition that was basically a grind, right? I mean, that's what Dickens is writing about. Well, DeFeltre was he was combating the same kind of thing. So it talks about how some of his contemporaries were, even at the university level, just putting people through this Greek and Latin grind. They weren't really opening up the field of ideas to them. DeFeltra was one of the guys that saw education as this feast, and he was not teaching at the university level. He was teaching children. Now, his students might have gone up to like early 20s, but they went all the way down to, you know, six and seven So he was actually doing this with little kids. Well, I thought it was interesting
1: in that quote, because it said that the food metaphor was used by the humanists. And so in the great tradition book, which I've been reading, I'm not there yet. I thought that I'd seen it mentioned, but it hasn't really been a big metaphor in the ancients. You know, they haven't used that exact metaphor, but if education as a life means that you need regular, ordered, and fitting sustenance, you can find those things outlined in the ancient writers,
0: for sure. Mm -hmm. right?
1: Definitely the varied as well. There were multiple places where even the ancients were combating the idea that you should be specialized and choose one field and only read everything in that field. That was... A hot new thing in education. (laughs) I think that was for Quintilian and Seneca too. Has a section on that where they said, "No, you you should read the best from a wide variety of sources of subjects."
0: Well, that's what we talked about. Everything in one. That's what we talked about in our multum non multa episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was reading the best. It wasn't because isn't I? Oh, we. I think we did the Cicero quote in that episode. I'm trying to remember now. I think we did. They have a quote in the footnotes in this Vittorino de Feltra book that is from Platina or Platina. I looked him up actually just now. <laughs> and so he lived from 1421 to 1481. So that makes him also a Renaissance humanist type guy. But he, his quote was originally in Latin, but I had my son translate it for me. And he said it means alternating subjects tends to rebuild the mind. So we get into this idea of, again, paralleling the feast, right? Like if I ate grilled cheese, three meals a day, seven days a week, I could actually, even though there are nourishing elements in that, I could actually become malnourished just from my lopsided, unvaried diet, right? It's not the best thing for my body. So the same kind of thing is this idea of rebuilding the mind through not focusing on one subject, but trading them off.
2: Well, yeah. And that's what Charlotte Mason says, like in the micro sense, too, that right. even in a school day, you should the be learning subjects. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but, but also alternating different things, not, mm-hmm. you know, doing all of your short lessons of reading aloud all in a row.
0: I found that actually in Viterino de Feltres. So his alternation was usually between study and something more like play or P.E., But he was actually doing that. He would have a fairly short lesson time, especially for his time period. And then they had to do something else. He didn't let them just sit there and study for six hours straight, which is funny because actually that was kind of my view of classical education in my mind. You know, I was imagining them sitting there hours and hours and hours a day really grinding away even if they were alternating their subjects and yet you've got veterino de Felcher being like it's not good for boys to sit this long let's send them outside it was kind of cool he's, he's like the father of brain breaks too seriously
2: <laughs> seriously who knew that was a renaissance idea
1: <laughs> so you also have a quote on that from aeneas Silvius in here brandy who is he Okay,
0: so he's one of the four guys who wrote essays in the back of this book. His essay is called De Liberorum Educatione, or however you say it. But anyway, a liberal education. I mean, if we translate that into English. That right here, I was going to look up the quote here and read it. I didn't underline it. I should use my book darts. I'm not used to them (laughs) because they just came in the mail yesterday. But um, I don't write in this book because I'm trying to not mixed myself up with with the original owner. Okay, let me find it. We must bear in mind that the thinking faculties find relief from strain in this very variety, just as the digestion is aided by succession in diet, so that I have no fear lest your mind should suffer from alternations in subjects or change of masters. Therefore, let grammar, dialectic, and other subjects occupy you In turn, do regard also being had to the place which physical training must occupy in your education. So again, he's got that, you know, that you're not going to suffer from changing subjects, which is funny because as an adult, I sometimes feel that way. Like, I just want to plow my way through this whole thing because I feel like I'm going to lose something if I stop. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear him say, you know, I don't really observe that when I watch people. I don't think that you suffer from your changing masters or your change in subjects. And it's moderation, right? It's the golden mean in our study. Well, it's also like
2: Pomodoro technique and Um, um, also slow reading, too. Because if you're just doing a little snippet of you're reading a chapter or a few pages of something and then you're putting it aside what what were you talking about? I was listening to the podcast, the Memory Podcast, cuz I uh, skipped out at the end of that one to go pick up a kid. And you were talking about how you were having your son read two different books or something. And so it doesn't matter that he's alternating between the two. Yeah. And so they're able to handle it.
0: And we are too. <laughs> I just have to convince right. myself sometimes. Well, and that is a good transition
1: too to saying this is for our kids. Education is a life. So it's kind of like the same principles that make life work or grow and develop also are for the mind. The body and the mind have this analogous relationship. So we can reason from one to the other. And so that would be the same for children as well as for ourselves. So if minds have to be fed, or else they start to deteriorate. That's not just true of children. That's just true
0: of minds. Right, right. Which brings us back to one of the goals of Scalé Sisters, Mm -hmm. to keep us from deteriorating. And just, like, watch football. Right. (laughs) Uh, It makes us wonder what sort of mind food these men and boys are sustained on. (laughs) Mm. Oh, I couldn't have planned But...
2: (laughs) But some of these other folks are saying, you know, you got to do physical things too. Yep. So yes. not that I'm, I'm not playing football, but you know, these men and boys, if these men and boys were not just playing football, you know, playing football can be part of their yes education.
0: And that I think is a really good point because I have run into that. You know, we talk about falling off either side of the horse I've run into that extreme of where, you know, if I want to give my kids a classical education and I want to be classically cultivated myself as much as I can as an adult, then I need to get rid of all this fluffy stuff. And I just need to be really serious about all this stuff all the time. And it's interesting that that's not in the tradition, that there is a place you know, her criticism isn't really that someone's watching football. It's that that's all they're doing, that they aren't that's getting all they're my doing. Food,
2: right. You know? That it's imbalanced.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to me that we can run off with that error of I just need to read more, think more, write more. I just need to do. And maybe the answer is I need to go for a walk and identify a tree a la Misty, <laughs> or something. <Yeah>. Right.
2: <laughs> okay. So I was interested in what Charlotte Mason said about the 21st century being a time when it would be proven that the mind needs ideas just as the body needs food. I was trying to find some studies, but I I think that they've pretty much done that. Haven't they? I found this one study about how orphans who are left to not, you know, they're just in the orphanage and they're not getting any kind of interaction at all and how it, it has an impact on their brain, but that would be interesting anyway, to go and find that and to see, because she said in that little passage you read that she thought the, 20, the 20th or the 21st century or whatever would be the time when they prove that. So it'd be right. well, the different
1: neuroscience. Right. You know, I think it's the same connection. I'm trying to remember the right words, but you know, the synapses they've found ha- those paths have to be traveled. And if they aren't, if those connections aren't happening in the brain, then they go away. So you have, the more they're used, the stronger they are. So it's like a muscle. The brain is like a muscle, not a, you know, other metaphors had been used before. So the more it's used, the bigger and stronger it is. And if it's like a muscle, then you feed muscles through exercise and eating. So I think that that is true. And, you know, that's why they have things like recommending older people play Sudoku and crossword puzzles. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To Keep those pathways open or
2: memorized mm -hmm. poems or right yeah anyway that was a slide aside but
0: that was no that's cool i had you know i hadn't really tried to trace that down i noticed that part of the quote but i hadn't really tried to track that down or anything so that is really cool i mean i was just thinking well she said that because brain physiology was it was kind of like the cutting edge area of study at her time that and psychology you know they were new those were new areas of study but hadn't really thought about, okay, so it's been a hundred years. What have we actually discovered? I think that's cool. Yeah, it is.
2: Okay. So this feast of ideas. So let's talk about ideas for a minute because that one's hard. And I noticed, I noticed uh, in the little part about Seneca. So this brings me back to the conversation that you and I had, Brandy, for your morning basket, where you were trying to teach me what ideas were. And I think I need to go back and listen to that podcast again. But um, in the part about Seneca where it says, show me rather by example of Ulysses, how I am to love my country, my wife, my father, and how even after suffering shipwreck, I am to sail towards these ends, honorable as they are. Right before that, he was talking about how people have all these debates and arguments about like where Ulysses went and what sees, like all of these real kind of highbrow academic thoughts about the facts of Ulysses voyage and they're missing the point, which is how I'm to love my country, my wife and my father, even after suffering shipwreck. So what relation does education is a life have to do with these ideas? Because that's what came up in our conversation earlier this week. So I thought that was a cool quote, uh, especially like with the juxtaposition against how people were teaching it, even in Seneca's time. But how does this play together? That education is a life. How does it play into that? We should be, and this kind of goes back to our memory conversation, uh, which just came out this week, but was a few episodes ago.
1: Right. So, are they different kinds of foods, like different qualities of foods, or different? Or even I like Charlotte Mason's sections where she talks about pre digested or pre chewed. Mind stuffs
2: because it's such a
1: lovely. A whole, yeah, yeah like, I'm a little bird regurgitating food into my children's
0: beaks. <laughs> Once you see that whole process as vomit, you really can't go back.
2: <laughs> so how does how does this concept of ideas play into like that we should be teaching ideas or that education should be about ideas play into this whole education is a life thing.
0: So, I think there's a couple things. The one I'll touch on right now, we'll see what Misty has to say too before I take over. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying not to take over. Take over. Um, is, well, I was just thinking about this idea of, you know, because in this section that we read from at the beginning in volume six, she goes on to talk about what is an idea. And I think where the connection between life and ideas is that the idea is something that takes hold of you. You know, we say that I was, you know, I was just captivated by this idea or I was inspired by this idea or whatever. For her, that's the sign of its life-giving nature, that it's gonna bear fruit. Whenever you have that thing that you go, ah, you know, the light bulb turns on, you start to see it everywhere around you. That's how you know you had an idea. And she admits ideas are hard to define. They're very difficult. You know, she goes all the way back to, what is it, like Plato or something in order to try to even define it. And she's saying, you know, even he's not really super clear, (laughs) but you know, the idea that the idea that education has to do with ideas goes all the way back to Plato, right? I mean, he's the original idea guy. The facts, it's not that we get rid of them at all, but I think what Seneca is saying there is when we're debating about boats and ships and all this and that, we're not getting to... The idea part, which is the part that can give birth to good fruit in my own life, the part that's going to give birth to good fruit is the idea that Ulysses went on a journey and came home a better man. Right. And that's the part that's going to make me a better person. It's not going to make me a better person. I even think about, you know, Charlotte Mason, whatever you think about unit studies, she goes into like a really big criticism of unit studies And I think the thing missing (laughs) in her criticism is this, because she talks about, you know, it's pre-digested. All the connections are made by the teacher, blah, blah, blah. But really, the, the description she gives is of Robinson Crusoe. And, you know, they're talking about shipbuilding and they're talking about this, that and the other thing. And the thing is, what's actually missed in that whole lesson is that Robinson Crusoe is not about shipbuilding. It's not about surviving on an island. It's not about all those facts are incidental details that pull us into the story, but the story is about repentance. And if we're focused on all those little facts, we don't get to the ideas. And I think that is really what Seneca is talking about. It's the same criticism. If character and virtue are our goal and we're trying to get at the things that can actually birth that, Columbus sailed in 1492 can't birth that in me. It's not going to make me a better person. It's just going to have me know something about my world. There's nothing wrong with knowing something about my world. But when I read his biography and I learn about perseverance, and I learn that might actually make me a better person.
1: So the ideas are found in the stories.
0: Yeah. And I think they're clothed in facts. I don't think you can have, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think you can separate facts from ideas. I don't think you can. Well, I shouldn't say you can't do that. I don't think if you're really going to understand an idea, you can do that without facts. Right. But we can separate facts from ideas because we can You see a modern textbook. I don't know. I mean, I've seen one from the public schools recently, and they're like little factoids. They are. They're dry as sawdust. There's nothing there. There's nothing in those history textbooks that I have seen that is actually going to inspire anyone to become a better person.
2: Well, OK. And it, uh, even to be able to do this without bashing, let's look at like a, <laughs> a, an born book. Or a DK book or something like that. And sometimes kids love looking at those books. They love the big pictures. They love reading the little factoids, you know, but it's not going to make them better people to read those books. That's not to say that those books don't have their place for something kids to pick up and look at or for you to flip open and like find a date or like, you know, what were Egyptian homes like? We can read five facts about that right here. There's nothing
0: wrong with that. Yeah, but, for me, that's the kind of thing that lays around my house. I wouldn't make it part of my lessons. Right. Like, for me, that's yes. the distinction. You're yeah. right. Kids are little fact collectors and they love that. And I don't think, you know, a child's going to become a horrible person if they own that book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Right. And, and nor is it twaddle
0: because right. it has its
2: place. It's one of those nebulous books. And this is a conversation we still need to have that is not twaddle, but is not a living book. And I, and I think the problem is, is in a lot of Charlotte Mason circles, everything has to fit in one of those boxes, oh, that's you know, interesting. That's you know interesting. my can of worms for the week. Yeah, <laughs> <seriously>. <laughs> you, look, it is eight fifty four
0: my time. So
2: you We're always do discuss the discussion. We're <laughs> not going to discuss it. We'll have to discuss it at another time. But I think that's the case, you know? Okay. But I want to go back to this. I, I love that. So that helps me kind of get to this life thing. That it's about, education is a life, is about feasting on these ideas. Yeah.
0: And I think you pinpointed it when you actually said, this thing is not a living book. Because what are those books supposed to do? They're supposed to give life. I mean, it's a living book, right? So it's the same thing. These books have this special quality about them that allows them to transfer the life that was in the mind of the author to the child, to the reader. So it's that transfer of life that is is somehow it's contagious. That is why the book is worth our time during the school day. And I love that because when you think of living book, you think of like the book itself
2: being living because it has good language or yada yada. This is how Charlotte Mason educators often define living book. But that's not what you just said. You said the book is living because it gives life. That's a totally different thing. And I think that's. That's like going back to your whole, uh, your misconception of what education is a life was. I think there's a a lot of misconception about what a living book is because people say, Oh, it's, it's living. It's got this great language. It's, you know, not
0: dead. No. Well, and I think maybe a book could be a living book, but not one of the best books. And Charlotte Mason was always looking for the best books. And I think of that as, so maybe there's these levels, but I don't need to own 25,000 books. I need the best books, right? right. And the best books are going to be the most contagious. Well, and I think one of the things
1: that's contagious about them or one of the ways they have ideas, maybe the common thread of the ideas that they have is humanity. Like what are people mm. like? What do people need? Okay. What's our condition? What should we do? Who should we be? all of Mm -hmm. the perseverance, all those character and virtue things kind of revolve around that. And I was just thinking like, you know, that's one of the reasons why we still read Shakespeare. They show us
2: what it's like to be human. It's all about the human condition. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I forget who, but
2: as someone shared a frog and
1: toad picture on Instagram this last week, and I'm like, you know what? Frog and toad. That's right up there with Shakespeare. It was like that has the idea of our human condition in a
2: nutshell right there. Yeah. So true. I love frog and toad. Oh, me too. Um, Okay. Real quickly, because I know we've got to go, but there was one other thing that kind of struck me about this whole conversation. And I can't remember exactly where I came across it. I think I had pulled out uh, for the children's sake, but um, the idea that children somehow are doing this anyway, and then school messes it up. Mm. Education is a life is something that's almost instinctual into children, like the way they learn naturally. And then some forms of schooling come along and, and muck it up a little bit. And I could see myself, I could see myself doing this. You know, I have this preconceived definition of what school is, you know, it's these tasks that should be done. And so am I mucking up something that's fairly natural for children? And I think I think part of the problem is, is we start mucking it up really early. Like what would a kid do if you didn't take the five-year-old and sit them down and start, you know, drilling facts into their head and things like that? Obviously, Charlotte Mason is not unschooling. But if you just expose them, if you read to them and had conversations with them, And that was the main part of your education.
0: Um, Oh, especially when you're young. I mean, I took a couple of those quotes from the great tradition. You know, we have Cicero talking about for himself, these moral lessons that he derived from a wide reading. And we have Chrysostom talking about the child's soul being formed in early years by tales. And the classical educators definitely had this conception of, if in doubt, just read. I right. like, don't really well, complicate qu- it. Quintilian, I'm pretty sure it's Quintilian,
1: even has it explicitly in a couple paragraphs. We kill their joy of learning is basically what he's saying when we push them to work too hard too young. That yeah. they need the hero tales and the history stories, and the poetry when they're young, because we don't want to just waste their young years but we're wasting their young years if we're pushing them to work hard. So I thought that was fast. That was in the ancient period. It was basically better late than early. Yeah. That was just saying <laughs> that.
0: It. It's like Dr. Yeah. Raymond Moore.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's true.
0: I mean, you I see a lot of kids that start out really, they're very excited about their fancy kindergarten curriculum. And then by third grade, they are already acting burned out. If we think about burnout as The fire has lost its fuel, and now all it's doing is smoke. There's this sense of there was something that was not life-giving in that process, even if it was initially enjoyable for the child, because the result was not life. It was not a fire that's going to burn everything down. You know, it was burnout. So something happened there. The fuel or the food consumed everything, everything. Yeah, everything that was there was consumed because nothing that was sustaining. Was being added to that pile as time went on, so even Ulysses, right? You were talking about Ulysses lots of times, and you go back to really, really ancient times, that's what children were learning. They were just learning these really exciting stories when they were tiny. You have the hero tales right there.
1: There's the young years. All of this I, you know better late than early and all that. Yeah. But then you also do have the 11- and 12 and 13 year-old years, which. They might not actually be excited all the time about what they're supposed oh, yeah. to be doing, even if it's yeah. life giving. Yes. Well, and that's <laughs> like, say- if, if they aren't, it doesn't mean that you've messed it up. You know, it's just
0: right. They'll get through it. And I wrote, wow. I wrote a post about this this week about my daughter, where right. you know there was a book, Oliver Twist, that I felt like she didn't connect with, but we did it anyway. She didn't seem excited. I was disappointed because I had loved that so much with my oldest child, but here we are two years later and it's a very different story. And she's reading that book on her own and loving it, you know, finished it really quickly, but now she's rereading parts of it. And there is this idea, especially I think in the older years that we don't always see what's happening and their initial response is not necessarily evidence of whether it's life-giving or not. I mean, because just like seeds take time under the soil, (laughs) sometimes these things take time but the general principles of not killing it in the early years especially i mean they're definitely worth well and if god
2: created us to learn naturally through these life-giving ideas the fall certainly mucked that up and that's True. where that's where the 11 to 13 year olds you know come <laughs> <in>. <laughs> there are evidence of the fall <laughs> there are evidence of the fall and and sometimes it goes down into younger ages too <laughs>
0: I'm dying. <laughs> That's so funny. Pre fall, there would be no puberty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just wake up one morning and be fully formed like Adam. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we really do need to start wrapping it up. But, you know, on the other two, we were working on this inventory, fleshing it out, you know, to try to work on that a little bit before we end. What are the kinds of questions that we can ask ourselves to start evaluating how this education as a life is doing in our school in our homeschools. So you know, do you guys have any ideas of what kinds of questions you would ask yourself in order to think through this process? And I guess also one of our goals was to do it not just for us but for I mean not just for our children but for us. Because we want right. to be living also.
1: Maybe do you feel at the end of a lesson you more awake or more alive, more interested or exhausted.
2: Mm. Yeah. And Don just put in, what books do we choose for free reading? But I think even more importantly, what books are we choosing to teach from? Right.
1: But as a yeah. diagnostic, like what are we and our children picking up on our own as a diagnostic tool is also mm. a good one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: For my own, I think I'm good with my children on this, but for me, Am I letting myself get lopsided? So we talked about the variety and alternating of subjects and activities. And Aeneas Silvius was the one that made the point about even the place which physical training must occupy. And I feel like my tendency is to get lopsided thinking that that is productive. But then I burn out later because it's not sustaining because it doesn't have that breadth of variety that's keeping everything growing equally or whatever. So I like that. And I mean, and for our kids too, if our homeschool is lopsided, which can happen also, I just feel like for me, it's more like I do this for my kids, but then for me, I'm somehow different. You know, (laughs) I'm not really, that's what backfires all the time.
1: (laughs) All right. How about, is there time for digestion to happen? Mm. Because that's one thing I found I have to sometimes when I take my morning walk, go without my headphones without anything, because I just need basically time for things to connect up in my head or to think I just need open space.
2: Yeah. And are you getting enough sleep? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not getting enough sleep, this stuff is not going to happen in the waking hours.
0: That is so true. We often, I think, overlook for both our children and ourselves, but the connection between the physical and then what's going on, with the intellect or the soul or whatever, you know, forgetting that, how does Charlotte Mason put it? Creating the proper conditions for brain development, <laughs> which I feel like is such a highbrow way to put it, but you know, you know, it's like how the hungry child can't really study right now because the blood sugar is way too low for that. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, the sleepy mommy has a hard time too. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> well, have a wonderful weekend, you guys thanks, thanks to all of you who joined us yeah, yeah. Bye. bye bye that's it for today thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast if you have not yet subscribed to the show please do so subscribing and sharing with others are the two best ways for you to support our work as I mentioned in the intro, today's episode has a bonus, something we're calling the life audit. All you have to do is go to the show notes, which you can find at scolaysisters.com ss28, and fill out the little form, and it will email the audit to you almost instantly. Our next episode will feature a conversation Misty and I had with Eric Hall, concerning the balance between grace and the work of God on the one hand, And holding up virtue as a goal of classical education, on the other hand. This was an amazing conversation that you won't want to miss. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone. So open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Brandy. I know we have a recording.
0: It's uh, uh, fine. passing <laughs> through. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do I have it? How do I do this? Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Use the bathroom uh, upstairs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness.